Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week, rather than going over the Allagash Abduction Regression Tapes, we're going to go into UFOs and the Paranormal, two separate phenomena or one and the same. Now, that's going to be for the next episode as far as the Allagash Abductions. I started recording it, and I realized, holy crap, this is going to take forever. I have to go through that entire book. So, bear with me guys, the next episode's going to be the regression tapes, but even when it comes down to recording every word said, stumbling around on a podcast does not exactly sound the best. It sounds like I'm making errors. So, work with me on that. This next episode, we're going to have that for you. This week, we're going to cover UFOs and the paranormal. Alright, let's get it. The Subjective Nature of UFOs and Alien Abductions To say it's not a fact that everybody who looks into the phenomena has their own interpretation would be incorrect. In fact, what we find is many theories, all of which are debated, even today, of the origin of the UFO and alien abduction phenomena, as well as the fact of is it linked to other phenomena such as Bigfoot, lake monsters, ghosts, and many others. Like a fine piece of art, such as the Mona Lisa, people see their own interpretations in the phenomena. Is she smiling, smirking, or simply have a cheerful face? The UFO phenomena and alien abduction phenomena is no different. Are they fey folk, gods, devils, robots, extraterrestrial, interdimensionals? The list goes on. Another good example of this would be the television show Twin Peaks in the 1990s by director David Lynch. What you find is an obscure show and quite fascinating yet also disturbing. When one watches it and takes it out of context, just as is, it becomes very odd. But much like the UFO phenomena, and many other paranormal phenomena, once you look into it, you see what you want. Now recently I was interviewed on a different podcast, and one of the questions that came up is, well, what do I make of the out-of-body alien abductions? That is to say, someone is taken from their bed by entities that are surrounding them and their body is left in place. And yet they go through the typical alien abduction scenario. Right down to physically feeling being poked and prodded. So let's go over that. What I make of that is that a person may be physically abducted. And when they look back to see their body still there, perhaps that is a memory. Now this is just me theorizing, of course, because none of us can really know. Could it be a dream? Possibly. Could it be, in fact, they are visualizing their own body laying there? That's a possibility as well. Now, for the most part, alien abductions 
seem to be physical in nature. People wake up with marks on their bodies, scars, have visible gynecological issues allegedly, and many other things. So these cases are a little more rare. They don't encompass the big picture of ufology or alien abductions. But we cannot simply ignore them. So we're going to attempt to look into that. Now, my thoughts on it, like I said, perhaps they're physically being abducted, looking back and seeing themselves laying there, perhaps by memory, perhaps they're willing that person to see their body laying there. Because when it comes down to it, these entities aren't interested in the soul as some claim. For the most part, it seems to be genetically oriented as we go over again. You will find this throughout ufology rather than it being about spirit or anything else. Now that I find quite interesting. This overarching theme of genetics does not just disappear. In fact, it is quite prevalent. And what we don't see, at least not often, is people's souls being taken. And we have covered that before. Of an interpretation of a person's soul being put in a box or a soul being pulled out of the body. I've covered it in other UFOs and the Paranormal podcasts. But in this case, I wanted to take a deeper look into it. Now, of course, again, these are just theories. But if somebody doesn't think the same way as you, just remember one thing. It is subjective. That person may interpret their body as laying there. And as we've covered before, and will cover again today, what I coin as the Turner Thesis. And that is, you're able to see, because they want you to, something that's going to make you either more comfortable, more afraid, confuse you, or sway you a certain way. Now, a good example of that is Pat's case from Dr. Carla Turner's book, Taken, which I did a whole episode on. It's one of the bonus podcasts on here. You can listen to her entire story. But here's the thing. We've all had dreams. And I think most people have had dreams about out-of-body experiences. Now, I don't think that's quite fair to loop that into a ufological section, even if the dream or vision seems to assume so. Now this could be because I have found myself becoming more skeptical over the years. But that is a healthy thing to be. But right now we're going to cover a case out of Brad Steiger's book, The UFO Abductors. 
Now Susan H. lived in Pennsylvania. And at five years old, she remembers seeing a low-flying UFO as she stood on her lawn, entranced as it flew over the rooftops of the neighborhood slowly. And Susan, as of 1988, held a degree in chemistry and was a technical manager at an industrial lab. Brad Stagger says that she is level-headed but recalls a vision, a dream, of being taken to a large group of people who are gathered in a strange city. He says they seem to be concerned and speak with agitation in their voices about a recent uncertain reports of odd weather patterns. Now Susan knows about these reports but is not anxious because they are normal and expected. Susan says, I responded to the milling group in a very matter-of-fact manner saying yes, things are changing because they are here. At this point in the dream, she gestures upward to the sky full of clouds where two or three golden submarine spacecraft appeared. Her vision shifts. She and a large number of people are transported upon one of the craft. Susan goes on to say, each of us has a small collection of things with us, in various types of knapsacks, suitcases, and so forth. We are in this huge room that seems to have some kind of curves to it. We receive a message to go to the viewport, all of us unafraid, expecting, and acceptant. We leave our stuff along the corridor to proceed to the viewport. We are hovering high enough so that a sense of the curvature of the earth can be seen. But we are not so high that we cannot see that we are over the water with the shoreline in full view. We are then told that they will begin a rotation of the spacecraft and that we will see that there is nothing to be concerned about, such as falling down because of gravity. The ship begins to rotate as we watch the shoreline move during the rotation. We are amazed and excited and feeling somewhat unnatural. We are astonished when we stay in one spot within respect to the motion of the ship. It was an incredible feeling, and one in which I distinctly recall to this day, said Susan. It was almost like that kind of amusement park ride that strives to distort through optical illusions. After the rotation, we were told to make ourselves comfortable and we returned to the corridor outside the viewport and sat on the floor. I had the sense that we were going on a long voyage, but one wish I knew was not going to take long. Interestingly enough, in the book, The UFO Abductors by Brad Stagger, this is in the portion of Astral Abductions. So in other words, she didn't physically experience this. She had a vision, that was in quotes, as well as dream, which was also in quotes. Now I have had very realistic dreams about UFOs, but they were dreams, and I think that it is important to draw that line in the sand for people. If you can write it off as a dream, you probably should. That is the best way to figure things out. And every human experiences these things. 
I don't think it's appropriate to jump straight to the most fantastic conclusion you can find. That is why I am a huge proponent of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, as you know. In other words, you try to prove it wrong in order to prove it. That is the best way to do it. If you can write it off, you need to try to. And it is best to remember that the simplest answer is usually the correct one, according to Occam's Razor. Now I find it interesting that all of these cases, some of these more odd cases, are found in this book by Brad Steiger. And you find that certain authors are the ones who keep pushing out certain books. Now that is no offense to Brad Steiger. I like his work. And I like many of the other four TN people. But oftentimes you find that they are doing too much at once. And what I mean by that is you're trying to look into 15 things where one will do. Or you're that guy that has the string tied all over the place to a bunch of different pictures. You know what I'm saying? I think that's not a very good way to take it. Now let me give an example of that. When I first started doing alien abduction research a long time ago, I had to figure something out. Is it even possible for them to communicate with us telepathically? Or do we just chalk that off to paranormal? Well, I simply can't just buy into an easy answer such as, hey, it's all paranormal, they're interdimensionals, or something else. We'll never be able to explain that scientifically. Don't even look into it. I said, no, how can we do this? Now, while this work is still going, What I found is that we can, in fact, explain this to a certain degree, and that is in the term of brainwaves. Could they have a brainwave that interacts with ours and interprets speech to us? That's very scientific. That's an easy way to look into it instead of assuming the paranormal. Now that's just an example, without going into too much detail about it, because I have gone into that before. The Tale of Mary B. As of 1988, she was a freelance writer from Salem, Ohio. At 10, she either experienced an astral projection or an actual encounter, as put by Brad Steiger. One of the two. And a quote as he puts, This is hazy for her now, distinguishing the difference between the two. On that night, she remembers seeing a large spaceship hovering around 20 feet off the ground in her backyard. A door opened at the bottom of the craft, and a beam of light shot down. A woman in a white gown appeared to Mary. Mary was a Roman Catholic, so she assumed that this was Joan of Arc, and she was not afraid of the glowing woman. The 
woman gave Mary a message she still can't understand as of 1988. The woman said that she knew that Mary was lonely and that she would give her a playmate who would always be there with her. The woman stood in the beam of light and cloned herself. That is to say, made an exact duplicate of herself in physical form. But it is what she would have looked like as a little girl. At 11, a man in a spaceship came and took Mary inside. It was all white inside except for a purple object on a low white table. She doesn't remember what he told her. But he had an odd haircut, black hair, in an Egyptian style, and as Brad Steiger put it, it seemed to be astral projection. They often guided her, and her husband, to various places. Often they saw seven craft, and a mother craft. And this was even reported by two others, to a UFO group at the time, adding a little cooperation. In 1986, Mary and her children saw a UFO hovering above their house. It was a diamond shape with one end cut off, and on the very bottom was hundreds of gadgets. It was slow moving, and it was 200 feet or more long, and then it disappeared as if vaporized. She described the two occupants as very good looking humans with light around them and they glowed, but they were solid and physical. They don't seem to age, and they always seem to be 26 to 30. The hair on the male was black and the female had golden blonde hair, and the haircut is a page style haircut for both. The woman always wore a white gown with a round neck, and he always wore a pantsuit. They were both very kind to her. Mary also goes on to say, They are not permitted to tell me everything, but they give me hints so I can get the answers to my questions. They help me in my life. I don't receive contact with them very often, but they are watching me. They give me advice which I try to follow. Mary claimed that her and her husband were also guided by a UFO one time to a nursing home in the area. She goes on to say, what a perfect place to be in charge and not be detected. There's also a bunch of older people there so you can get more information on the Earth. Now, again, this is also from Brad Steiger's book, The UFO Abductors, and this is in The Astral Abductions. Now one of the parts that I underlined on there was the seemed to be astral projection. That is what Brad Steiger had put in the book. And yet I find none of that in this case. She even said in there contradicting that that they seem to be physical. Now the haircut most people familiar with ufology, if you are, as well as alien abductions, you know that that haircut is very often reported. That is a big correlation right there. As well as the white room, 
Purple object, I've never really heard of that, but hey, that's unique. Now, as far as astral abductions, these are the only two cases that he has in the book. I won't write them off, but the interpretation of it can be taken many different ways. The first lady, Susan, very well could have been dreaming. She had a vision slash dream. It says that right in the book. This case is a little different because she says that they are physical and not dreams. And this is what I mean about the astral projection abductions. Now this is just a couple examples, but usually the abductions are physical. Not often are they reported like astral projection. There are some cases out there, but that's not the vast majority. But they still cannot be written off, and should not be. But I thought I'd throw you a couple weird cases, and try to give you my point of view on them. podcast I I did an episode on some articles done by a very prolific author and I kind of went off a little bit and did just a whole episode just tearing apart his articles and how he keeps repeating them and it's the same old crap time after time but I'm not going to do that I deleted that podcast episode I deleted the video I just didn't feel like it was right but I am still going to cover one of the articles in this episode. And I do this for a specific reason. Number one, it will demonstrate not only the Turner thesis, but the subjective nature of our interpretations. Now I will reiterate again. On this article that he wrote, I read it back in 2013. 2014, somewhere around there. And I questioned it a little bit, and I even commented on it, only to find that my comment had been deleted. Now, it wasn't exactly the nicest, but I proposed that maybe there was something else at play here. That being the Turner thesis, rather than a 4T in 1. And I'm going to demonstrate what I mean by that. Now, I think that's where I had a big issue with this author. Now, I wasn't exactly nice in the way I put it, because I said he was muddying up the field a little bit with that. Because rather than taking an alternative view to it, he had to go to a different, more 14 one. It is wrong of me to attack him, and I kind of feel bad about it, but at the same time, different perspectives do definitely come into play. Now, a woman related this story to the author in 2013 of an incident that occurred in October of 1973. He stated that the woman lived in California during a big UFO wave, and she spotted a UFO 
around 50 to 60 feet. She witnessed it take off at high speed after that, after wobbling a little bit. This is a classic UFO sighting. Many report this and many have seen very similar things. But three days later, it was sunset. And someone arrived at this woman's home. It was a dark stranger wearing all black. He was skinny and pale, wearing a fedora reminiscent of the 1950s. The woman felt as if the man had enslaved her mind near hypnotically to invite him inside the house. Bam I be then followed the woman into the living room where he had threatened her never to speak about what she had seen again, which at this point she had only mentioned to her family. Still under control of this MIB, he then turns and walks out the door to leave. Just then the woman became aware of her own cognition and chased after the MIB as he closed the door. When she opened the door, the MIB was gone, but in his place was a large black dog, with red eyes snarling and sniffing at the woman, prowling around the front yard until a black Cadillac screeched in front of the house, opened the driver's door, and the large black dog leapt into the back seat. And then the Cadillac left at a very fast pace. Now an elderly woman, she sticks to his story and asserts that the MIB and the dog may have been one and the same, but it can change how it looks. Now when I first heard this, my interpretation of this was, okay, she had an MIB experience, he came to the house, he threatened her not to say anything as he was leaving. This is where it gets interesting. She got up and she was angry getting ready to attack the man and rip him a new one. And rather than being able to do that, he stopped her by altering her perception to a certain degree to make her see something frightening and startling. And then he got in the Cadillac and he left. Rather than a physiological men in black turning into black dog and hopping in the back of a Cadillac. Our interpretations were quite different. And this time I'm being a little nicer about it. The thing is, you can look at that scientifically. And again, it comes down to altering perception through brain waves or some other means, a biological neural link. And perhaps they can communicate and do things like that. We find that in many cases. Now as you can gather from this and see from this, there's two different ways to look at it. While you could go a more paranormal way and say a man literally turned into a big black dog with red eyes snarling and sniffing at her, you may therefore also look at it and say her, percep her perception was altered, rather, to a certain degree where she would not attack a person. She couldn't. She was afraid. Now she did clarify that they were one and the same. Again, but 
That was not the way he took it. Right here, I wanted to throw in my brainwaves thesis to you, or the Turner thesis. This is from a prior podcast, and I wanted you to be able to hear it. So on the article we're referring to, I actually commented on that. And in my comment, I pointed out that, hey, this may be altered perception. Now, even though I commented that, and I addressed him by Mr. Mr. Blank, right? Because I always try to be polite. I said, with all due respect, you're muddying up the field with that. Okay, rather than looking at things through a scientific lens, or at least trying, you're just looping it all in one. So I'm waiting for a response, maybe he'll actually get back to me, and next thing I know my comment's gone. Because I guess that was perceived as rude, even though I didn't really think so. So it's kind of like I said on the last episode, I, I need a little more evidence than a couple one-off cases. So maybe the next episode what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the altered perception theory a little bit better with what I call the Turner Thesis. But let's just go over a little bit of that right now. So humans have five specific, you know, brain waves. And they all act on different frequencies and all give us different senses, right? So the first one is gamma waves, which is 32 to 100 hertz. This is heightened perception, learning, problem solving, and cognitive processing. We've got beta waves, 13 to 32 hertz, awake, alert, conscious, thinking, excitement. Alpha waves, 8 to 13 hertz, physical and mentally relaxed. Theta waves, 4 to 8 hertz. Creativity, insight, deep meditation, reduced consciousness, deep states, and dreams. We've got delta waves, 0.5 hertz to 4. Deep, dreamless sleep, repair, loss of body awareness. Now to finish it off, I wanted to throw in some faded disc stuff. And this is from 1973, and it's a conversation with Stan Gordon on the Chestnut Ridge encounter. Now, if you're not too familiar with that, you're going to love this. You know, I have a little bit of input to put in at the end. We are going to cover Stan Gordon's book. And I think maybe we'll do that right after the Allagash abductions. I want to get that finished off for you guys, so that'll probably be the one after. Let's get it. We uh, received a call, called about 10:30 from the state police barracks up in Fayette County, and I had talked to the trooper who uh, had just came back from the scene of this incident and he felt that something definitely had gone on. And uh, the main 
person involved in it, the farm farmer's son who had seen the creatures and shot at them was at the barracks at the time, so I questioned him over the phone. And they had indicated that the object had landed and was sitting on the ground and that the creatures had been seen and that there was a glowing area, a glowing ring that was apparent after the object had disappeared. So we uh, got together a field team. We had um, Dave Smith, who's a uh, physics teacher and a civil defense radiation defense officer. We had a professional photographer, uh, George Lutz, who uh, is a co-director of our group, who's a former Air Force pilot in the major in Air Force Reserves. I can't think we had a sociology major with us, and myself. So we went up, we made arrangements to meet with the, the farmer's son, who's 22 years old, who was the main witness, but he looks much older for his age. He's about 6'2", weighs about 270 pounds, somewhere around there, 280 pounds. How was this the following day? No, that was that night, that a night. couple hours after the incident occurred. The incident occurred at 9 o'clock. And you were there about 11? Well, we they called us about 10.30 till we got up there. It's over now, about an hour drive. I'd say we got there around 12.30. And until uh, we got to the scene, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. But anyhow, before we got to the scene, we interviewed them. And he related how uh, about 9 o'clock, about 15 of the people in the area had seen a glowing red ball in the sky, spherical, you know, slowly descending towards the ground. So this fellow, George, and uh, these two 11-year-old twins from down the road, they ran to his house and they got a 30 6 rifle. And uh, they proceeded up in his truck up the back road towards the pasture area. And they could see the object slowly descending towards the ground. And it was getting larger, of course, as it came down. Their headlights and the truck started to dim. And uh, they were just going up toward the top of the hill, the horizon, the hill, and disappeared over the horizon. So they got out of their truck and started walking up the hill, and they could see it sitting on the pasture, apparently right on the ground or else inches above it. They said it was much larger than the house, about 100 feet in diameter. And it was like a dome or, or a bubble-shaped thing. And it was bright white at this time. It was making a sound like a loud lawnmower. Their eyes started to water a little from the, the brightness of it. And then they heard these loud screaming sounds coming from the vicinity of the craft. Something like a lady scream or whatever, but unusual screaming sounds. And then after about a minute or so, one of the boys yelled that there was something moving up along the fence line. So they pointed up there, which is opposite where the craft was on the ground, and there were these two figures walking towards them. At first they couldn't tell exactly uh, what they were. They assumed they were bears. But from the light of the craft... And also, this fellow had two military tracer rounds, which he fired directly over their head and just lit up for a second, but it gave them some more insight into what they were observing. Anyhow, they were then able to make out at least one figure was about eight foot tall and the other one around seven foot. They are described very similar to the other creatures, uh, completely covered from hair from head to toe, long arms almost reaching to the ground. They're making crying sound to each other. There was a smell like, like burning tire, burning rubber, and they had, in these cases, glowing green eyes, which we had another case of Beaver Falls a week later of a landing and creatures being seen. Anyhow, he fired a tracer round over their head. Then he fired a warning shot, a 30 6 over their head to see if they would slow down. But they kept approaching two of them. They were about 60 feet away. One of the boys, upon seeing this, ran, became hysterical, and the other boy stayed with George. Then he fired directly into the larger creature, each time he hit it, it made a lot of crying sound, and then finally it raised its right hand up, almost touching the smaller creature, which was walking in front of it. And all of a sudden, as it raised its hand, the object in the field just disappeared. The light just went out and disappeared, and the sound stopped. And then the creature slowly turned around and started walking back into the woods. 
So at this point, they were both quite shook up, and they ran back to call the state police, and the state trooper came out to the area. And George went back up with him. He uh, went and notified the state police. The state trooper went back to the area, I believe, around 10.30. I think he went out there around 10 or 10.30 until he got a call by radio to go out to the area. And uh, George told him what he had seen. The trooper proceeded up to the area. Trooper verified that they did see what appeared to be a glowing ring about 150 feet in diameter where the object had been sitting. And he said that the ring was bright enough that uh, if you uh, sat down in it, you could read a newspaper by it. It was only glowing from a height of about one foot off the ground. But he also said that he could see the uh, small plants inside of the glowing area, so it was fairly bright. Now, this was the police agency? The state trooper was with them. They both saw that. And he said they were walking up along the woods where George had seen the creatures, and the trooper confirmed that every time they'd walk, they'd hear something following them along the woods. He said from the sound of it, it didn't appear to be real big, but it was following them around, and every time they would stop, the sound would keep moving for a few seconds, and it would stop. When they started moving, it would move. Basically, that's what occurred there. Before that went back, George uh, had the opinion something was coming out of the woods. He heard it coming towards him, and he claimed he saw a dark figure coming out of the woods. And uh, so he took a shot at it, and they ran in a state police car, and they turned around and got out of there. And uh, that's when they went back to the barracks, and they called us, and we went up. All right, now when you arrived, the glow was all gone. There was nothing there. We took radiation tests immediately first. All right, now did you go uh, back? following day? We were there, well, we were there for a number of days afterwards. All right, now, was there any physical trace left that there you could no find? There was no physical trace. There was nothing that indicated that it definitely had been on the ground. It may have been right above. But the animals would not go near the area. The horses and cattle and dogs. And as the trooper said, too, the animals were extremely uh, nervous. Now, were they avoiding the area? They were avoiding the, the area after where it had disappeared from. They wouldn't. They'd go in the outskirts of it, but not in the immediate area where it was. That's the only visible sign you could see. All right. Uh, then, of course, there was no opportunity for you to use any infrared photography up there. No. Well, after the incident that occurred, that Earl probably related to you. Did you? Did he tell you about what happened that night? No. no. With the uh, the mind control, whatever the takeover. Now, what what did happen to the mind takeover in this case? Well. We went back, and uh, we were up there, and we were looking around the area, and it must have been probably around 20 to 1 when we were up in the field checking for radiation, looking for any evidence, and George and his father were down below with the truck, who, had, with, who was the main witness. And all of a sudden, both of them yelled, told us to run down, and we went down, and they said that the whole area by the house had lit up bright green for a second. The whole area lit up real bright, so the father was concerned, so one of our fellows... And, and George's father got in the jeep, went down the house, looked it over, couldn't find anything. They came back ten minutes later. We proceeded up along the area where George um, claimed he had seen the creatures. So on the way up, uh, we were just talking and so forth, and all of a sudden the bull, which uh, was up there, came running out of the woods and was staring up towards one part of the wooded area. wasn't bothering to pay any attention to us at all, and all of a sudden his dog also started picking up a scent of something and started sniffing his way up towards there, and he stopped and started looking around. One of the guys in our group was on one side of George and George's father, who was George is the main witness, of course, and George's father was on his other side, and they were just talking to him, asking questions about it, and one guy in our group asked him about uh, 
where exactly they were standing or whatever, and uh, he didn't answer them. Then he asked him again, and when he looked at him, he was like going like this, rubbing his hands over his head, and he thought maybe a branch had hit him. And uh, he asked him a question again, and all of a sudden George had his hand over his head, and he started waving back and forth like he was going to faint or collapse. So he yelled to his father to grab him right away if something was happening. And they were trying to get him down on the ground, but he wouldn't get down. He started breathing real heavy and heavy. Then all of a sudden he just threw them both. He just threw them both to the ground, the father and the other guy in our group. And all of a sudden they started leaving out these very loud screams. He started walking around in motion just like a wild animal. And he started swinging and screaming. His own dog attacked him. And the dog started crying after that. And... Uh, he the was making the, the dog started crying. And you witnessed this? We are all we have it all on tape. The whole thing as it happened, oh everything. My. Anyhow, George was going around making these terrible sounds, and the last roar that he made is identical to the sound of these creatures we have taped. It's a sound that you couldn't duplicate with a human voice. And all of a sudden, he just more or less just collapsed directly on his face, just straight down right into the there was not there was horse manure over the place, and just came straight down with his face into the ground and we ran over and picked him up just after this occurred one of the other fellows well, they was with us too one of the other fellows in our group, in our group started to get lightheaded and he uh, couldn't maneuver properly and he was down on his knees and then Dave couldn't breathe at all he had trouble breathing and then this terrible strong chemical odor came out of the woods we all smelled it most of us all smelled it at the time this came out in a wave just like the same thing all the witnesses have described with the creature. This very strong sulfuric-like smell. Almost if you took these old kitchen matches and, and struck them, but they didn't light. It was a very strong smell like that. We were getting George out of there. He was finally on his feet. And one of our other guys, we were getting him back down. And we realized that something was happening. Unusual. We wanted to get out of the area very quickly, which we thank God did. This fellow George, as he came out of it, he was talking about this man in a dark cape with a hood that uh, was calling him and told him that the man didn't hurry up and shape up that the end would come soon. And things of this nature would happen. There's no way we can really describe the whole incident. The closest thing you can describe to it is what is known as diabolical or demon possession. However, in this case, and from the reports we've had since, even though I've always been very reluctant to... Uh, connect UFOs and the creatures. No doubt there probably is a connection now. But it seems that there is some type of mind control involved in these cases where they are able to take control of certain people at certain times. And Dr. Schwartz was here from New Jersey working on the case. We've had other people involved in it. We've had a number of other similar cases now people have come forward to who were involved in a Bigfoot situation where they have had all type of psychic phenomena, poltergeist activity, memory lapses and things of this nature all in the last few months associated with the Bigfoot cases. And these are people who had no previous knowledge of this and most of these cases uh, like in one case the teenage boy told his mother about it but he doesn't want to talk to anybody about it because he said he's afraid to because he feels that somebody's watching him and if he says anything about it something will happen to him. And he's had two car accidents since the occurrence where there was no reason why he should have had the car accident. In fact Another boy who was with him at the initial experience also had a car accident in a different car on the same night. All right. Now, did you personally uh, have anything which smacked of mind control? To me? Yes. Nothing happened to me except the smell. We all smelled at the time. Yes. 
And believe me, the guys in the group, especially if some of the guys were there that night, are extremely skeptical. Okay? They're open-minded, but very skeptical. And I would never have believed it unless I saw it myself. But there's no doubt that something happened up there. Now, the dog attacked the, the uh, dog went master. After, more or less, yeah. Well, and no. then it started crying. And then the dog started Well, the crying. dog belongs to his, the boy's, the fellow's father. Yes. But there's, you would say it's his dog, too. Yeah, but they, they were well acquainted. One oh, definitely. Other. Definitely. They spent a whole life out there together. Now, did he indeed bite the boy? The dog? Yes. No, he got scared. He went after it, and the dog went over and started crying. Moved away and started crying, which is all on the tape. What do I have to do to get a copy of that tape? Well, I'll tell you what. It's like this. Dr. Schwartz, there's only two of us in our group that have the copy of it. And because of what occurred, Dr. Schwartz, as of right now, asked us not to because of what's involved in it until we can get more documentation on it and so forth. Because if it got in the wrong hands by mistake, it, this guy is, like Dr. Schwartz says, he is apparently could be very dangerous. He could kill himself or somebody else without even understanding what's going well, on. Has he had any reoccurrences? Yeah. He has had. Not on this, but he, when certain questions are asked of him, he'll go into a trance. We put him out with several times, and he went in, I'll bet you, a dozen times when Schwartz was here. And uh, anytime certain questions are answered, he'll go into this trance and start rubbing his head again and start to change. We catch him before it happens. And how do you break it, though? Well, we just scream real loud, George Schwartz, try to change the subject. Yeah and try to get him off is, of it. Is he aware of this uh, takeover? Well, he wasn't, but Dr. Schwartz has made him aware of it for special reasons now, certain aspects of it. Uh, how does Schwartz fit into the picture? What's his qualification? Well, Dr. Schwartz is one of the top, very prominent psychiatrists in the United States, and uh, he spent many years investigating various types of psychic phenomena and contact e-cases and so forth. I've been in touch with him for a while, and uh, he was planning on coming down here anyhow about a week later. So when this broke and the guy on the verge of suicide, we asked him and he came down early. And uh, he's been working on the case. He doesn't have to because the situation the way it is. Uh, he'll be sending a complete medical report and all, but this fellow is in a state of trance anyhow. It does not need to be put under hypnosis because of the situation he's but in. not at all times, is he? No, but it's a very, it's a very involved case. It takes us hours and hours to cover everything we found out, what's occurred in this case here. And there's so much involved in it. It's a very complicated matter. And uh, Dr. Schwartz will be writing it up for Flying Saucer Review, the whole medical aspects of it. Oh, he will? Yeah. Uh, I want you to get into the Penn Hills uh, case okay. for Mr. Neff. Okay, well, I don't know too much more about it than uh, really what you do. It happened, I believe, in September we were caught up there. There had been reports of some type of hairy creature seen up in that area. Uh, the people had called uh, the radio TV station in Pittsburgh, who in turn called me, and we went up to contact the people, went up there the next night, and uh, one fellow was uh, an official of the bank up there who had been one of the fellows who had taken the actual casts. We talked to several fellows, young boys, who had been up there on their motorbikes riding in this oil field where they had seen the creature in the trees and on the ground. And um, so we went up and obtained the, the cast and looked over the area. It's interesting, again, it was an oil field because a lot of the cases seem to involve around chemical odors seem to be attracted to this, these creatures. All right, now what was the description of this particular creature? They said it was like a very large monkey. This does not fit the description of the creatures we have down here. Uh, what color was it? They said it was black or dark. Well, I was thinking this one was black. This, these were up in the trees. This was up in the tree. In one case, it was walking along the road in front of them, but from the angle, with the lights on the motorbike, they could only see from the waist down. 
And there was a tail on this one. They said they definitely saw a tail, like a large monkey in the trees. But we did find that people in that area a year before reported seeing some monkeys up there also. What looked like monkeys were afraid to report it. Do you think there's a possibility that there were monkeys? Well, of course, anything's possible. But the fact is we've had other reports of smaller creatures like this around here in the spring. And who knows, if apparently from reports we have, several various types of unusual creatures have been showing up all at one time. So I think apparently we're dealing with more than one type of thing. And why all at once is your guess as good as mine. Yeah, this uh, mind control is extremely fascinating Important. to me uh, because uh, we've had uh, some smackings of this, mm -hmm. of course, uh, with uh, some of the contactee yes. people and their relationship to other people. Yes, that's correct. Is there anything else you feel you'd like to... I'll tell you, as soon as there's a lot more, it's going to take us a long time to get all the facts really straightened out and have Schwartz's statements, and when you come back next time, by then I'll probably can fill you in a lot more deeply on what the aspects of it are. Okay, Stan, uh, thanks a lot for this, and, and uh, gee, I, I could actually uh, uh, give uh, a great deal just to... Uh, because this uh, subconscious control is of extreme importance to everybody. Extreme importance, and it's extremely dangerous. And uh, it's any more, as you'll find, most UFO investigators have never gotten this involved in it. But they'll find that this is nothing to play with. It's not a game. Do you feel like you have any immunity to it? I don't think anybody does, because we don't know the full extent of what we're dealing with. But it's like this. I feel that if they wanted to hurt us, there was nothing stopping them that night. They could, we were out isolated from anyone else. We were all there, and apparently something was there. And the animals sensed it. If it wasn't for the fact that the animals had sensed it and we had smelled it, I would have said, well, this guy had something, a psychological aspect about it, even though his medical records didn't indicate any of this type of thing. There's no reason why this should have occurred to him. And plus the fact that we had three people saw the creatures, 15 people saw the UFO landing, Plus the fact we've had other cases now from other counties with creatures and uh, the mind control aspects coming up that I can't laugh at it. There's something definitely happening. Yeah, well, of course, you, you, you have uh, uh, a, a growing uh, cataloging of, of this type of incident. That's correct. Of course, the frequency and the uh, similarity is bound to lend credits to previous stories. Yes, but this is something, again, that you couldn't come out publicly with because, first of all, it's something we don't understand, and it's something that would greatly be ridiculed, but it's extremely a serious well, problem. You, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but uh, a Kroger truck driver was down here in this area, and he gave us most of these details in Akron. Now, I don't know where he got them, but uh, he did give us most of these details. About what? About the incident up there on the farm. Well, he probably heard about the shooting. It was in the papers up there. Papers. papers, yeah, that's all and, I'm going to give. And about this glowing circle. Glowing circle, I think it mentioned there about a glowing ring. Uh -huh. But this guy probably mentioned other people around Union Town too. The word spread pretty fast after yes. it was in the papers. Uh, because I was surprised. But nobody knows about this mind control aspect, yes. except the state troopers. That's all. That's and, all. And, and how did they? Uh, they're the, the state police are taking it extremely serious, and they're not laughing a bit. They gave us fantastic cooperation and as well as many other barracks all over the state who have been helping us out tremendously. Now there was a couple things that I found interesting about this. Now he says there was no physical trace slash radiation. Well as we know that's very prominent with UFOs. 
Usually there's a ring on the ground or something similar, but the animals did react. That's very interesting to me. But if you also noticed, it's a big ball of light. I really don't know what to make of that. Now one of the parts that really interests me is this dark hooded man with his vague threat of you better shape up or end of the world kind of thing. Interesting that that does correlate with alien abductions. Now sometimes these euphonauts are reported wearing a black cloak and oftentimes give the same warning. Now, according to some researchers, they say that the warnings back in the 50s and 60s were about nukes. Now it's more about weather and climate. There's still the warning of nukes, actually. I know some don't really like to put that out there, but it's a fact. And I find it interesting that that appeared right here. Not in correlation with the nukes, but still the warning. Now, as far as the hairy bipedal occupants with the glowing eyes, could that have been altered perception? I do find it interesting that that happened later with the same entities. And that odd baby sounding noise, or like a woman yelling, that kind of thing, which even John Keel reported on. But I find it interesting. And one of the contentions I've always had is let's say that there is a Bigfoot spotted with a UFO. I have a hard time with the idea that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is an extraterrestrial. I really do have a hard time with that. Now, I know people don't like that. Nowadays, we're on this big thing where it's all linked. But I don't necessarily buy into that. And interestingly enough, I later heard an interview with Stan Gordon referring to this stuff, and he says there's a connection, but he doesn't know what it is. And he also pointed out the fact that he doesn't think that the Bigfoot is necessarily driving the ship or a passenger of it. So I must say, as I have before, I think if a correlation is to be made, would it not make sense that if the euphonauts are taking us, that they would also not take another hominid on this planet to do what they may with them? I find that quite feasible still. Now we also have the idea of possession as far as this interview goes. Now I would also jump on the case and assume that rather than being possessed and making the same noises as these creatures, perhaps that is also the Turner thesis. Maybe what's happening is there is a projection being put in his mind that he is one of them and living out some odd scenario 
through some form of biological neural link. I find that to be possible. I don't really know where I stand on that or if that's where I fall right now. And I suppose we're going to go over that further when we cover his book, Silent Invasion. But I wanted to throw a little bit of Bigfoot and UFOs in there for you guys. And also get out the faded disc stuff as I am known to do. Alright, with that I'm going to let you guys go. So next time, we're going to finish off the Allagash abductions. Now I'm going to apologize in advance for the reading. Because, like I said, it's really hard to try to get those pieces in there and not sound like it's me messing it up. Because you stumble a little bit when you're under regression. But next time we're going to cover that. After that, we're going to cover Stan Gordon's book, Silent Invasion. I'm really excited about that one. And I hope you guys enjoy I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. I want to thank you guys for listening. And I just want to say, I hope you remember that the UFOs want to tell you something.